Synchronized is sponsored by the Production Music Association, the leading advocate and voice of the production music community. Become a member and help us to fulfill our mission. Go to pmamusic.com and click on membership for more info and to sign up. Hi, Simon. How are you doing? Very well, thanks. Very, how about you? Yeah, fine. Time's flying and there's so many interesting developments going on uh, in the production music uh, industry that uh, we had a couple of extra episodes planned. So people should stay tuned the next couple of months to see what we have in stock for them. Um, This time we have someone who's probably more known with the composers than with the publishers, but we're going to find out. It's the man who started musiclibraryreport.com, Art Munson. Art, good to see you. Thank you for being our guest. Thank you for having me. Yeah, hello, Art. Great to have you on. Hi. Hi, Simon. We, we always start with a, a simple question, Art. Um, how did you start your uh, business career? How did you end up here in the production music industry? Oh, the short answer from Music Library Report? Yeah. Oh, no, Sorry. just what you did before. Uh, uh, I know you're a composer. How much time please. you got? <laughs> we, we, and all the time. We've got it all the time. <laughs> well, let's see. Okay. Well, um, I started playing guitar many years ago when I was a little kid, was in a, a couple bands, went into the service when I was 18, got stationed in California. And by being stationed in California, um, there was a guy, uh, his name was Dick Dale. I don't know if anybody remembers him, but yeah. it was back in the early 60s. And he was surf, sort of yep. anoint, anointed the king of the surf guitar. Yeah. And uh, I, used to, I was in the Marine Corps and I was stationed uh, in Santa Ana, which was a, an old blimp facility, facility. And I was in helicopters. And so I used to drive around Southern California. And coming from Connecticut, I felt like when I got to California, I was coming home it just felt like home i mean it's like sun all the time and warm and so it happened in santa Ana, is not too far from newport beach balboa drove down there saw this guy playing in the rinky dink ice cream parlor and uh was okay this is pretty cool and then he you know he was playing around town and in balboa and uh i was always been pretty shy person and eventually and they opened up this old ballroom called the Rendezvous Ballroom. Uh, it was it was a dance hall in the 30s. He got it reopened because he was getting more and more pop, popular. And uh, so I'd start hanging around there. And then he opened a record store. And I, one day I walked in there and I said, oh, I play a little guitar. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and so he says, I, I guess I must have played something for him. And uh, one day he says, well... My guitar player, we're going to play in a, in a local club. My guitar player is too young. You want to sit in? I said, sure. Well, then I was in. He said, well, I can't pay you. My dad won't let me pay you, uh, uh, which that's a whole other story. But I, I was happy to be I was happy to be in the band, you know, all the yeah. little beach bunnies dancing, you know, circus stomp. And uh, it was like heaven. So long story short, I went overseas, came back, got back in the band again. And... The guy in the band who played sax was actually a really great blues guitar player. And he kept saying, come and sit in with me. Come and sit in with me this little club in Santa Ana. I said, no, I don't really want to go. I'm too shy and too insecure. So I finally went. And it was the Righteous Brothers before they ever got successful. <laughs> and 
So th then I actually quit Dick because I just, uh, he went to another club and actually got, he, he was in a club, he was in a dance uh, venue in Anaheim. And then they decided to go to the Santa Monica. Is this getting too detailed? Just stop me. Because, <laughs> so, uh, so anyways, uh, I left him, the, uh, got in a couple little bar bands. Um, cause I was just, I was tired of it. And I wanted to, I wanted to get, go play in bars for some reason. Cause I had never had the experience. And, uh, the Righteous Brothers, we had a little band. The Righteous Brothers had had local success. We were playing for them. And then, of course, they got very big. And our little band that was backing them locally became the band, the Righteous Brothers band. So I did that for a few years. Uh, left them because I wanted to go play in a bar again. Uh, and then worked, went to work with Bill Midley after they broke up. And then moved to L.A., Started hanging around L.A., ran into Paul Williams. Uh, um, I don't know if you know of him, but he's you know yeah. famous songwriter from yeah. that era. Uh, Paul happened to see me play in a club when I was with Bill up in San Francisco, and he says, well, I'm, you know, I'm starting to have a little success. Why don't you look me up when you move to L.A.? And I did, so then I fell, you know, I fell into all these things. Boy, it was just luck. I mean, I'm an okay guitar player, but... You know, it was just luck. I we always showed up for the gig, and I was on time, and I think that helped a lot. <laughs> you know, I didn't I didn't do a lot of drugs, and uh, so uh, I started working with Paul. It was a great gig, but interestingly, I don't know if you remember uh, Delaney Bramlett, Bonnie and Delaney from yeah, those yeah. years. It was a great band, great band. So at this time, I was considering Paul. Somehow, Delaney got a hold of me. And he was doing an album for Columbia. And he said, well, do you want to come? I'm lucky to be on this album. And I went, oh, cool, man. Great band, great guitar player. Yeah. The band was the most kick-ass band I'd ever been in. A couple of the drummer and the organ player came from James Brown. And it was like, it was a rocking band. So, so they did the album for Columbia. Came out and uh, Mobius Strip, I think it was called. Um, and so Delaney said, well, and I was hanging out with Delaney a little bit and we'd go to bars, but Delaney liked to get drunk and get in fights. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was really wasn't into that. And so uh, Delaney uh, said, well, would you like to go on the road with me? And so I had, it was Paul or Delaney. And I went, Paul's, I think, is a little more stable, <laughs> even though he did have his addiction problems, which he's over with, thank God. Uh, so, and Delaney, I don't know, he likes to fight a lot and get drunk. I'm not sure I want to go that fast. So I went with Paul. It was great. Paul was a great guy to work for. And then, you know, left him and did a lot of studio work in L.A. during the 70s. Did some in the 60s, but a lot in the 70s. And uh, got burned out on that. Opened a studio in my home in L.A. Called up a bunch of people that I knew, songwriters and publishers, and had a great little studio going for about 10 years. Then moved to Nashville for a while, did that for a while, had an internet business that did pretty well selling media. Uh, and then uh, I ran into a, a friend of ours who, I don't know, it was about 2005. We had moved back from Nashville to L.A., uh, ran into this guy, and he said, I have a friend, 
oh, a girlfriend, a girl I'm going out with, and she works for a production company, TV production company. They do a lot of shows, and they're tired of the music. And uh, and he said he said to her, well, I have a friend who writes music, and you know we can give you we can give you music. He was a bit of a hustler. He said we we can we can do this for you. So I started writing. We started. My wife and I write together, uh, Robin, and so we started writing music for them. It was about 2005 or so, and as I was writing this, and I was sort of out of the music business, you know, kind of aged out of it, and I didn't want to play guitar anymore for a living, and I had the little the internet business, which did pretty well, and so I was in yoga class one day, supposed to be in my Zen moment, and all I could do was think about the library music. music, and I thought I should start a website of a directory of all these libraries. So, and I knew a little bit about making websites, so I put a website together, and I ran into a now defunct newsletter website called Film Music TV or something, and they gave me a whole list of libraries that they had, and so I, I put that together, and you know. I decided, well, I was doing it, and, you know, there wasn't any really money involved, and there really still isn't to this day, but it is enough to keep it going. Uh, so I thought, well, I have subscription part on the library listing part of it, because the one thing I felt that I had that I don't think anybody has done yet is to have all the composers' experiences with all these different libraries. And so I thought, well, that's got to have some value to it. I'll make that subscription, but I'll leave the forum part open where people can just talk about whatever they want to talk about uh, in terms of, you know, the business. So that kind of worked out, you know. So the subscription part of it keeps, you know, makes enough money to keep it going. And that's sort of the way it evolved. So, Art, that's a great story. So are you the kind of trust pilot of library music? Would you say that? That's the trust pilot? Yeah. I'm not sure what that means. So, uh, you know, if you're going to buy a, you know, a barbecue or a car, typically it'll be rated and it'll be rated by a company called Trust Pilot and you give it. Oh, one, I see what you're saying. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So is that one of the function well, you, you perform for library music? I mean, do you tell your composers this is a library to trust or don't go near these guys. These are trouble. Uh, you know, I don't do that because, uh, you know, first of all, one of the things I ran into early on was, you know, I, you know, the whole slander thing and, you know, it gets really dicey. Yeah. And so there was a period early on where people go, well, don't trust these people. You know, they're scam. You know, they ripped me off. Well, that's just hearsay. You know, yeah. that's somebody that had a bad experience. And so well, a few times I started getting letters from lawyers, you know, <laughs> and there was one. This was a really <laughs> weird thing. So I, I basically said, okay, we can't do this anymore because I don't, as a, uh, a friend of mine who's also a composer but a lawyer, he says, you don't want to be the white knight. You know, you don't want to go down this road where you're having to defend yourself and spend money. I said, okay, we won't do that anymore. In fact, at one point, there was a, uh, I got a letter from a lawyer representing an, a company in another country. I won't say the country. <laughs> uh, and another country who had been accused of 
A bunch of composers said, well, they're taking my music, putting their name on it, and it's not their music. And this lawyer said, well, you can't do this. This is, you know, this is slander, blah, blah. And we're going to take it to court. And the thing I had found out was that you, t you could take this, a case like this to a judge in the United States and a judge who knew, would know, not in those days, which was maybe 10 years ago, knew nothing about the internet and the laws. And you could get that judge to take your domain name and give it to that person. I went, holy crap, I don't want to do that. So I immediately went out and registered Music Library Report and every single kind of domain entity out there, whether it's .net or .info and all that, in case this ever happened. Uh, thankfully, it didn't happen because I just backed off and said, okay, fine, I will take all that stuff down off the website. So, isn't, that a, yeah. isn't, that, isn't that a dilemma, Art? Because maybe the accusations were correct. Well, yeah, of course. But do I want to be the white knight? You know, no, no, I, I, mean, I, I, I understand. Yeah, it, it's a real dilemma. And uh, Well, perhaps you are the white a, knight. <laughs> well, there, there was a, a, a company, I don't know if it's still around, in, in the U.S. here called Ripoff Report. And he was, I don't know if they're still around, but he was doing something like that. And I don't know how he protected himself because that's what exactly what, that I think it was just one person. What he was doing is people could go on there and just slam whoever they wanted to. Yeah. And he must have been hit with attorneys all the time. Uh, but I don't know. I didn't want to. I didn't want to do that. So, you know, people get on there, and if they start making, you know, because usually what happens, you know, you go to any review kind of page. And it's always the people that are the unhappiest that are going to leave the reviews. Yeah. The people that are satisfied. It's like going to a doctor and you see doctor reviews. Well, it's <laughs> people who had a bad experience, but you can go to that same doctor and have a wonderful experience. So I always tell people when it gets into that, I say, you know, every composer's experience is different. Because people always, all the time, they'll always say, okay, can you tell me what's the best library to go to? And I can't tell you that because... You know, what works for me may not work for you at all. So, yeah. I, you know, I try not to go down that road. No, I, I understand <laughs> that. But as I said, that's a very thin line because I think composers who uh, want to write stuff on a music library report want to tell other people their experiences. Mm -hmm. uh, so so can, you, can you tell something about the majority of the experiences? Are, are those positive or is it, is, is it negative or... There's a little of both. There's definitely both going on. I mean, there are people who say, you know, they'll say, as an example, they might say, well, you know, I submitted something, you know, like three months ago and I haven't heard back from them. You know, you know, if they can't respond to me, then, you know, I don't know why I want to spend my time with that. So they'll, they'll go that far. But, you know, when if they get into like saying, you know, this is a ripoff, stay away from these guys. They're the, the worst the scammers in the world. That stuff I just delete. I just won't let it, or I'll edit the, I'll edit the comment and take that stuff out. I don't, I don't, so, you know, I'm old school. I don't like profanity. I mean, I listen to a lot of A B C D E F U. I love that song, you know. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I don't like it, uh, you know, on the site. So you know, if anybody does that, I, you know, I've got my spam blockers in there, and all those words are in there. They don't get through. 
So, you know, people get pretty rasty, and I just, you know, won't let that happen. So, so Art, do, are, you, yes, sir. Are, you, are you facing both the publishers and the composers? Because, you know, if you get three publishers together in a restaurant for the meal, they'll immediately start talking about composers who are, <laughs> who are kind of... Yeah, no kidding. Know, <laughs> basically using uh, dance you know, uh, kits that are making, you know, copyright music that's going to lead to trouble. Do you face both the guys or are you principally looking at composers and, and treating them as your yeah, Well, you know, I have, I, I, uh, I have publishers, you know, you know, music library owners that, that come on and, you know, I have relationships with them. And um, I don't ever recall having a, a bad any kind of bad relationships going on with them, uh, any of them at all. It's the only time there's been, you know, a contention. If somebody gets on, like I said early on, and we're just saying things like, you know, these are scams, scams, these people are terrible, you know, they're rip-off artists, you know, I don't want to get into that because who knows what the truth is? I don't know what the truth is. But if they have reasonable, like, you know, this this person never called me back, you know, all of a sudden, you know, I can't get a hold of them and I'm trying to find out what, I see my music some somewhere, you know, I'm not getting, it's not showing up in my pro report, I don't see any royalties, I can, I can, I can see it on TuneSet, you know, those kind of things, but I can't say I have any, you know, most of them are all just good people trying to make a living like all of us. So, Art, from, from the publisher's point of view, which Ferry and I both are, um, you know, the business consists of lots of independents, quite small, quite motivated, and then a, a small number of majors. Yeah. So can you talk <laughs> about that, about the relationship between majors and, and uh, minors or independents? I mean, how do you see that, that kind of ecosystem working? Is it a hugely competitive or is it an ecosystem that kind of exists because it all kind of coexists if you like I, um i'm not quite sure i understand i mean i don't have much relationship with, with major ones you know right and they, maybe one or two i mean well, i think I, what i'm asking are is whether you see a different relationship <laughs> between composer and independent and composer and major is is it a very different sort of situation uh, you know i would think so i mean i think you know if you can have a one-on one-on-one relationship with anybody in a company actually large or small it's all about personal relationships and if yeah. you're in a if you're dealing with a a, a large uh, library or a publisher then that personal relationship is really what counts. You know, I, I was a writer at A&M, uh, the publishing arm of uh, A&M Records back in the 70s. And, you know, that was really the cool days where they actually paid you to write songs. And uh, so for, and I got in there because of Paul. I mean, so that was my relationship. He, he knew the guy who was the head of publishing he got me in the door. I was a signed writer, paid for like four years, never had any hits, but I wrote a lot of songs. They paid for all the demos. And that was all a personal relationship. And that was a major company. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's still the same. It's all personal relationship. If you're at APM or, you know, one of the big, you know, libraries out there, it's going to be that relationship you have. Uh, 
you're not the relationship isn't with the company; it's with the people in the company, I and mean, that's uh, true. A lot, a lot of mentioning on, on your website is about microstock sites like Audio Jungle, Pond5. Um, yeah, those are royalty-free. And that was sort of the sweet spot for, you know, I, that stuff is kind of going away because it's, all these subscription models have come in. I mean, those sites are still there, and I still get sales at those sites, not like was getting, uh, you know, a few years ago. I think it started changing maybe a couple of years ago when – the subscription sites really kicked in, but those were like, that was kind of like low hanging fruit. You know, you get into those sites and you could get sales and you can, you know, make some money. Some people are making a lot of money. And but just, just to, to, to make sure uh, that everybody understands those micro sites, they were selling tracks royalty free for a pretty low price, right? Uh, yeah. You, uh, did, you didn't have a, a personal relationship with anybody there. You just actually, uploaded. I, actually, well, I did. did. Yeah. Okay. I, I, at, well, at Pond 5 in particular, uh, I knew the guy who was running music there. He's since recently left. Um, and they've been bought and sold a few times. And so they went from a one-person site back in 2009. It was originally like just images. He was selling images. I forgot the guy's name was Tom something. And then he, got, he, he transitioned into music and then into video clips and most of their sales have always been from selling video clips to major networks, you know, major companies. Uh, the the music was just an add-on, but I happened to the oh, I know the guy who was head of music was a fan of Paul Williams. He was also <laughs> a, he and he's also a songwriter and an artist and a really good guy. Uh, and so we had a really good relationship. In fact, I played on one of his songs on one of his albums. Uh, uh, really nice guy, and he was a real uh, advocate for the composer. And so Pond5 got sold to, they got some funding, uh, I don't know, $20 million, and they started expanding, and then I think somebody else bought them out. I don't know, it's been through transitions. And, of course, as the suits get into the business, their eye is on the bottom line. I mean, that's really all they care about. They don't care about the artist. And so... You know, they went slightly subscription, but there's still you can you can put stuff up there and not participate in any of that. Mainly you can and I still think they they squeeze you into a little bit of that. Uh, but you basically set your own price and it's not a strict subscription site where, you know, you put it in there and anybody for nineteen dollars a month can download all the tracks, you know, and you get pennies. Uh to me, that's the real, you know, I'm not going to participate in any of that. Um, but those sites, you know, they do really well for a lot of people. And some people still are doing, managing to do pretty well on them. But it's not like it was a few years ago. Uh, but like I said, those kind of sites are the sort of low-hanging fruit. And now, and also when we first started, most all the libraries, the lower, you know, the independent ones were all non-exclusive, which is great because then you could put your stuff in there and you go and put it around different. Now, a lot of people, not say a lot of people, but a number of people would say, well, that's not the way to go. For me, that was the way to go because I don't want to give up exclusivity to anybody. Um, maybe that's too... Uh, a short sighted of me, but I just don't want to do it. You know, but, that, but that meant that you had to retitle your works, right? 
I don't have to retitle them. What they do in this country, I, I, I don't know what they do internationally in other different countries, but they'll either prepend a code of some sort or they'll up append a code of some sort. So say, say that it's called art song. Well, they might put art song, um, the name of the company, you know, XYZ library. So that means your title that title is unique to them and they will collect a publishing income from that particular song on anything that they place. I still own art song, uh, that title and anything that I place, I would collect the publishing royalties on it hmm. as well as the writing royalties. Uh, when they retitle it with their, I mean, initially at some, at one point early on, you were coming up with your own titles, but it sort of evolved over time where they'd either prepend or append a code. Uh, like, uh, so that's how they separate those things out. And how, how did it work with TuneSet then? Because TuneSet detects a certain fingerprint. Was TuneSet able to differentiate between? Well, you got to do it. Yeah, I know where you're going with this. Uh, no, TuneSet just gonna it's just going to detect the music is not going to do anything about where it came from. So then you become a detective. And a perfect example, it's happened a few times to me, is we had a, uh, uh, so I go on, I check my TuneSat account, and I, and I start hearing this commercial running. I'm going, and then I'm looking at it, it's like on, it wasn't on the major networks, ABC, CBS, or NBC. It wasn't on there, but it was on every other network there was. And it was running, you know, 10, 20 times a day. And I'm going, okay, where's this coming from? Where did they get this license? So then you have to be detective. So then I go to, let's see, I had some stuff on Audio Jungle, and some stuff on Pond5, and I figured it kind of came from Pond5. So I'm looking around, let's see, it started running in December of, I think 20 and I'm going, okay, that thing was sold uh, uh, right around December, the same piece of music on Pond 5. Okay. Let me call Mike. Well, my, I can't really tell you who it is, <laughs> you know, because I don't want to share, you know, who their client is. And uh, I go, okay, well, it's, I could see it was for a single care commercial. So then I go to, Uh, there's another website called Competitrack. Well, it's called Numerator now. Numerator bought out Competitrack. And what they do is they track commercials in the U.S. Maybe they do it outside the U.S. I don't know. So I go to my Numerator account and I go and I put in single care. I go, oh, there it is. No, actually, it didn't show up. It ran That commercial ran from December and to about... May, I guess, somewhere somewhere in there, it didn't show up in Numerator, which is really odd. So I, I contact BMI, my publisher. I said, this thing is running all over the place, and it's not showing up in Numerator. So the people at BMI in Nashville, they were great. They have a commercial division there. She said, well, I'll get on it, and I'll, I'll investigate for you. And she said, oh, well, Numerator says they don't track healthcare commercials, anything to do with healthcare. I said, what? I said, you turn on TV, that's all you see is pharmaceutical, drugs, everything, and you're not tracking any of that? <laughs> so uh, they said, well, well, 
you know, we're going to keep on top of this. I said, great. I kept, I kept going back to him. And then finally, Numerator picked it up somewhere around March or April, somewhere in there, and they started tracking it. Great. I could see how many times it was running there, how many times it was running on TuneSat. So I had a pretty good idea of how many times it was getting played. So then uh, I, <laughs> I uh, so then I call up BMI again, and I said to her, I said, well, look, I'm not getting any money from BMI between the December to March, April. And she says, I said, this isn't right. You know, you're getting license fees from all these stations and I'm not getting any money. They were great. About a few months after that, they gave me a nice big fat check for that time that they didn't cover. So yeah, the bottom line is you have to be a detective. <laughs> you know, when these things sell, and you've got a TuneSat account, and you get a numerator account, and they're all you can get a numerator account. They're free. You just have to. It's not as easy as it was, but you can get it. You just have to jump through some hoops, uh, and then you know you do your detective work. I had the same thing with a commercial that was started running, and I was going. It was for a toy commercial, and I'm going. Where is this coming from? Then I go and I look at Audio Jungle, and then I said, ah. It's sold in Audio Jungle, and, and Audio Jungle will let you see like a company name. And I go, but this company is in Italy. I go, wait a minute, it's a toy commercial running in the U.S., but the company is in Italy. So I go to their website. I email them. I say, hey, look, I see this toy commercial. Is, is this yours? And the guy, he got a little guilty because the license he bought on Audio Jungle was for like, you know, the cheapest one you could buy, and he. And I wasn't even looking for him, uh, busting him on the license that he bought. So I guess he got guilty because he went back to Audio Jungle and bought the more expensive license. But at least I knew where it came from, so I could go to BMI and say, "Oh yeah, this is where this is from." So you, you know, you have to do your due diligence and follow through on yeah. this stuff. Synchronized is sponsored by Ames, an AI-based music similarity search created by seasoned production music insiders. Ames has also launched auto tagging. So visit aimsapi.com to get 100 tracks tagged for free. I mean, you've, you've, you've been in, in the business for a very long time. Uh, you've seen the, the microstock sites pop up, which were at that time, I think, what we call now a disruptor, because it was a different uh, yeah, model. absolutely. There are now yeah. other uh, disruptors uh, popping up. What is your take on, on the way where it's going uh, in the production music uh, industry? Well, you know... We talked about a little about this on our test, but you know, I started looking at NFTs, and you know, it seems to be, you know, I found, you know, on OpenSea, I found uh, a whole music section where people are doing NFTs, and I, I think I told you about the the one I found where guys just got an image of it, because a lot of people think about the NFTs as you know, artwork or some kind of image, and all he had was a picture of a cassette, and he had about 20 pieces of music. I don't know what the guy's name was, but he said he'd been writing for like 20 years and he did a little collection and I, I looked at it and he seemed to be having sales. Now, when reading about NFTs and following this, is there's a lot of wash sales, you know, where, you know, a guy gets a couple of wallets and he starts buying and selling between himself to drive the price up and try to get some buzz going on or they get a group of people together and they do, they're trading back and forth to get the price up. So there's that going on, but, this guy didn't have 
big sale. I mean, they were like 40 bucks here, $200 there, you know, $50 there. And I thought, this could be like legit. And there's, there's a lot of gray area about copyrights in NFTs. And there was a great article that I mentioned to, to, uh, to Ferry about um, this murkiness. People buy these NFTs and think that they own what they're buying. And from reading this article, not necessarily true. They're buying a little couple sets of numbers, what they're buying, you know. And uh, I mean, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong here because this, you know, I'm just delved into this in the last few months or so. But this guy appeared to be having sort of microsite success, you know, selling his, uh, his collections. Uh, that's one avenue possibly. And then I've been reading about using the blockchain to license music directly between um, cutting out the pro, cutting out libraries, just be directly between a client and the composer. Exactly how that mechanism works, I'm not entirely clear on, but I read that there are some larger companies getting into this. And, you know, you see these, I think everybody's looking for these new disruptors and where this is going. And, you know, uh, you know, you have to be aware of this stuff. And I've always been, as a friend of mine, just like to say, you know, a ser serial entrepreneur, you know, it's like, I like throwing things against the wall and seeing what sticks, you know? And I was telling this guy, uh, guy about it, Oh, this guy who, well, anyways, I won't say who he was, but, you know, he's in the music business, and he's 40-ish or so, and he says, oh, I can't get my head wrapped around this stuff, you know, all the NFTs and blockchain. And I said, look, I'm 81, you're 40-something, if I can do it, you can do it. You know, it's, uh, but I, I just think you have to be curious, and, and if you want to be, I'm always going to make music, but, I always want an audience too. And my audience is I'm not going to go out and play anymore, get on stage. My audience is somebody going click. Okay. Here's some money for you. That's my audience. You know, uh, you know that's somebody clapping and saying, yeah, good job. You know? So do you, do you think that the world of the PROs needs uh, disrupting? Oh, absolutely. I think that's one of the reasons it's blockchain is so, um, interesting to people because there's no transparency with PROs, you know, you, no one knows. And, you know, and, and then, you know, with the ASCAP and the surveys, you know, that's a whole nother thing. It's like, if you, you could have things running all the time and if you don't hit the survey, you don't get paid. And uh, how fair is that? You know, and it's like, you know, there's some song and dance about, well, you know, we're not geared to do that. But, you know, to me, that's sort of ridiculous because, in this day and age with technology, you should be able to, everything should be a transaction that's recorded somewhere. And that's the beauty of the blockchain. There's a, everything's a transaction. I mean, we're going through a thing where we live here, it's an HOA. We're, 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 we're fixing our access control for people coming in and everything's a transaction. We want to know everybody that's coming in here and it's a transaction. It should be in a database. The same thing with every piece of music that's played that's why I've taken, I don't know if this means anything to any, to us as composers, but I've gone and I've uploaded to SoundMouse, all our music to SoundMouse, to BMAP, and to Identify. 
uh, and I want our music out there every place it can possibly be that's trackable. And Soundmouse will do that. BMAT does that. Whether this turned into something, I have no idea. Supposedly it's going to help you collect more pennies internationally with Soundmouse and BMAT. So, uh, Art, do you think we need, we need uh, more than one PRO? Do we just need one global PRO? Or do you think there's still a... Uh, virtue yeah, that's in, a, in a that's a great that, that's a great point you know that's a great point and if we could get everybody talking on the same page i don't know i mean we're you know somebody just posted again about neighboring rights and how in this country we never signed you know that agreement and yeah. it, you know so we're not even participating in the rest of the world with that uh ideally one giant pro but of course when you get one entity controlling everything yeah. Transparency, transparency seems to sort of disappear. And, uh, well, do you need do you need a PRO when you have the blockchain? Well, that's it, and I think that's why it's so. It, you know, people are so fascinated by it, and that there's potential there. If there's a way to do this, I don't know what that mechanism would be. Uh, like I say, I'm willing to explore it and learn about it as much as I can, even though it's. It's the Wild West from what I could see in every, all the things I read. Yeah, that, so, right, I think you're, that you're, would be you're, ideal. You're 81 years <laughs> old, right? So is this, and you're discussing these, these kind of subjects, which are absolutely cutting edge. Are you aware whether these kind of subjects are discussed at educational level, at college level, whether the people coming into the business are aware of this or whether they just I, kind of buy into would, the traditional business model? I would, I would hope so, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> I would hope so because, uh, um, I mean, let's face it, it, it you know, the, my model has always been technology always wins. <laughs> and uh, I think that you have to be aware of the technology and, and what that's the potential for that and how it can help us and hurt us, of course. But I think there's definitely, it, it has to be, I would hope to be, and I, I would think it would be. I really do. Yeah. Excuse me, I just... <laughs> but at this, po at this point in time, there's a, there's a lot of stuff going on in the production music uh, industry. Yeah. Um, if you would meet a young composer and he said, I would love to write production music, what would you tell him? Go find a job or go and write the, that great track? <laughs> yeah, I, <clears throat> I think that um, throughout my life, I've always looked for ways outside of the music business to, you know, just do stuff, bring extra money in. Uh, when I was in the middle of doing a lot of studio work in the 70s, and I also at the same time I had a job as a writer at a and I was always, I was going out and buying houses and fixing them up, <laughs> you know. Uh, when I was in, in the 60s, when I was playing with Dick and the Righteous Brothers, I had a friend of mine who was a fashion designer, and he, he was a mess when it came to accounting. And I didn't know anything about accounting, but he said, well, can you help me? I said, sure, I'll be your accountant. <laughs> you know, I didn't know what I was doing, but, you know, paid me a little bit of money. And at one point I was teaching guitar, you know, just, I don't know. I just think, yeah, you got to keep your mind open. And But then again, the other people, on the other hand, you know, those artists that are just so single-minded about what they do and i think that you know there's an advantage to that too it was you know 
some people might say, well, jack of all trades, master of none, but I don't know. It's not my personality. I just, you know, I like doing it. You know, it's to me, it's like I'm ADD and OCD. So it's like bright, shiny object, bright, shiny object, bright, shiny object. And I see the bright, shiny object and I get really into it. And then I see another one that get really into it. You know, it's just my personality. So Art, looking forward, do you think there's a reason why there should continue to, to be a distinction between commercial music and library music? Is there, is there any logical mm. reason why there should be a difference? Um, you know, I, I think there's, they're melding because when you turn on TV now and you see commercials, there's more, it's more like commercial music when you listen to what lots of times what they're using. So, and I think that some of that comes because a couple of reasons. Um, artists now, you know, there's there's more opportunities now, I think, than ever to get your music out there. And so artists, you know, you can't make any money selling CDs anymore. You can't really make money streaming, you know. So artists are looking for ways to get their music out there. And I think you know, music editors and supervisors are always looking for the new thing. And I think that's a lot of it what drives <clears throat> the production values and the things that you hear in music today. I'm, you know, like I, I was, you know, having some sort of medical issues for the last eight months or so, where it was just, it was just hard to, you know, sit down and do music. So it really got me into listening to a lot of new music. And so it's, it's, I'm so impressed by some of the production values, you know, because it's all software stuff, you know, you can do so much with software. Then notice, like, you know, a lot of stuff I listen to is now like it's an eight bar phrase. How many times can you do those, that eight bar phrase? How many different ways can you do that throughout the course of the song? You know, it's, and I kind of take that from, you know, you've got a, a bunch of, you know, younger people, and people of all ages sitting at home got all the software with all these, I can do all these weird stuff. I don't really have much training, but I know how to, I can kind of put stuff together and I'm not inhibited by stuff, you know, by being signed to a company. Say, well, you've got to write the song this way and you've got to do it this way. And you've got to have a, you got to have an intro. You've got to have a verse. You've got to have a pre-chorus. You've got to have a chorus and you've got to have a bridge. And, you know, it's, they do those kind of things, but they structurally, it's so different now. And production-wise, you know, when they have a drop, you know, it used to be you play in a band, there's a drum fill, you go to the next section. It doesn't happen anymore, you know, unless you hear something that's really band-oriented. <clears throat> so, so do you think uh, different people are being attracted uh, to to composing? So perhaps your generation, they'd have been people who are probably musicians who played an instrument they had a kind of dream whereas now yeah. perhaps they're more software engineers people who are better at moving cut and pasting and moving yeah, that's that right. a, a, yeah. a different type of person being attracted to the business yeah i think so too yeah i think people that love music you know and they hear a bunch of loops and they go and maybe you know they're not quote sophisticated you know trained composers but they go that sounds pretty good. Let me put that together. You know, and all of a sudden you, out of these millions of people who are doing this, these things evolve when you out of it and it's, and you go to it and you go, I, I listen to some of it and I'll go, I would never write that way, you know, but 
I can appreciate the hell out of it. You know, I can appreciate the the creativity and the artistry in it. Um, and some of the stuff I'm listening to it just blows my mind. It's so good. So can you spot and an AI AI piece over a, a human composed? Well, I messed with a lot of AI stuff. Uh, there was one call out for a while there called Orb Composer, a company out of Spain, I think, or yeah. France or somewhere. Are you familiar with them? Have you seen that one, that program? No, I don't know them. It was called Orb, and yeah. it's still around. Terrible tech support. Uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, <laughs> but I tried. I, I paid for the program. Um, you can't you can't say that because that might might be considered slender. So yeah, exactly. You, you right had now. an issue yeah. with tech support. I yeah, yeah. Okay, so you can cut that one out. <laughs> I had an issue with tech support. Uh, yeah, and um, and it it, it it sort of worked, but it was it was just kind of clunky for me, anyways. And it they they still sell it, but they they had a Discord site and that sort of disappeared. Uh, but the, the a couple things I'm really interested in uh, the Captain plugin stuff. Maybe you familiar with those? Um, I, I've got that stuff. Um, yeah. I, I like working with that. There's Scalar I've, I've got, and I've, I've played around with that. I created a couple things from that, and there's a site called AIVA IVA uh, .io, and I created some stuff out of there. But it takes a lot of work, and none of it sounds uh, like the Captain plugins and the Scalar stuff. You can you can manipulate it a lot and get yeah. musical stuff out of it. the The other one that's the stuff that's totally software generated. It's just not musical to me. It takes a lot of work, and I've taken I've taken a couple of them and, and created something out of them. They gave me a good start, but I you know I usually end up going. I could write it a lot faster than this, you know, to, to, to take something that's just sounds, just doesn't sound right to my ear. Um, but do you think that that's still because it's in development and we need to wait for another couple of years? Or well, do you have the yeah, feeling that computers can't compose? I think there are, I, there's a lot of, a number of sites out there doing this. And I, I think that there's probably some that are better than other. And I think this particular site has a potential. Um, but, but like, uh, you know, you have to, I think you ha for me personally, you have to work with it a lot to get out of it what I want. And, and I've done it a couple of times. And uh, the nice thing about that site, you know, they have three different levels and, um, you know, you pay a certain amount of level and you own the copyright. You know, the, the, the cheaper levels, excuse me, the free site, you don't own the copyright and you have to give them credit. But you can, you know, pay the next, the high level up and then you own the copyright. So you don't run into copyright issues. And I just read somewhere that uh, there was some uh, argument coming out that AI, anything that was created by AI, would be copyrightable, but I just saw not too long ago that the copyright office in this country said can't do that. Anything generated by, generated by AI is not copyrightable. But wow. yeah, all these all these things are fascinating to me. Yeah, and including I'm, I'm especially the, the the last remark that anything AI is not copyrightable. That 
I mean, that yeah. Well, probably... I'm, I'm not a lawyer, so don't. <laughs> you know. I mean, that's de- that's really <laughs> so, debatable, you know, isn't it? This is yeah. This is sort of like what I've read, you know. <laughs> so uh, yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't want to make that statement. I, mean, Art, Art, I would have to remark that you're way ahead of the curve from any other guest we've had, and you're perhaps twenty years older oh. than any other guest we had. So <laughs> all power to your elbow. I mean, it's fascinating okay. what you're saying. All right, That's I want to be the oldest guy you've ever had. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but but do you think that that technology is going to change the production music industry even more? Oh, I, you know, I can't see how it doesn't. You know, I mean, let's face it, technology always wins. You know, there's going to be something. There's going to be something coming along, and. And it's it's all worth exploring, as far as I'm concerned. So, uh, one of the the um, criticisms of the business we hear is that there's just too much music. There's too much library music. So, the idea of AI will produce will exacerbate that rather than inhibit oh, yeah. that. So, yeah. so at what point does that mass of music mean that the music itself loses value and that the the whole kind of financial aspect of it falls apart? You know, I think that um, for me personally, I I treat it as, and there's a few people on the site that you know we all kind of agree on this. You know, this is our this is these are our assets. You know, I'm not going to give them up. And you know, I on the sites like Pound Five and Audio Jungle, I just raised all my prices. You know, I'm not going to play in that game, and I still sell stuff. You know, I figure we write. You know, Robin comes from a different place than I do. I mean, I came from. I grew up on country music, on hillbilly music, you know, bluegrass music. So, and then I played in rock and roll bands and I played in a surf band. So my whole, and I'm not trained, you know, I'm just self-taught. Robin comes from growing up with like, much like my mom did with Broadway music, New York, you know, going to Broadway shows. So Robin was brought up with that. And she also, she's played in clubs and, you know, she liked the artist's you know, her day she has certain artists, and and I like country music. I like I like it all. You know, I like every I like everything, and I can find value in everything. So our advantage is that we write all kinds of music, and you know we can we've written Italian music, we've written Latin music. I've never been in an Italian band or a Latin band, but I got ears, and I've got Robin, <laughs> my secret weapon. And so that kind of music is, you know, you call evergreen music because it yeah. never goes out of style. And so we always try to write every, I like to write all styles. Give me a style and I'll try to write it. And maybe it's successful, maybe it's not, but, you know, I like exploring all this stuff. So consequently, even though we don't have a vast catalog, maybe five or 600 at this point, you know, most people have thousands. Um, I think that the breadth of what we have of all those different styles really helps us. I mean, Robin wrote a piece and you know, she writes it and I pretty much produce it and orchestrate it. Uh, and it was, it's just basically a Broadway tune, like an old fashioned fifties Broadway tune. Well, that thing sells constantly. Uh, license that thing, whether it's on audio younger or Pond five, that thing sells all the time. And then we have another piece, and actually, she she wrote too, and it's kind of like a a '60s Batman theme kind of 
thing. That thing sells all the time. And I have a surf thing that I wrote. It sells all the time. Latin stuff we've had. Sold that a lot and have placed a lot. Even one Latin piece, uh, one company, one of the libraries was looking for something. Google was doing, um, Google was looking for music for some promotion they were doing. So, and they were looking for Latin. So we submitted this thing and uh, I went and listened to it. They, they literally used about three seconds of it and we got $2,000 for it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So my point is, is, you know, it's like, you know, you really have to have a wide variety of evergreen material, stuff that people, because everybody wants to write rap and hip hop and all that. That's cool. I love it. A lot of it I love. I listen to it and I'm blown away by, you know, you know, some of the profanity and stuff, you know, like, please get over it, you know, that's uh, not necessary. But production wise, you know, I listen to it and the way they use voices now and they go, very cool, you know, very cool stuff. And but, you know, you got to write more than just that if you're going to be in this kind, in this end of the business. You know, I don't, I don't think either one, Robin's more of an artist than I am. Um, and, I, you know, I've played around with being an artist, but it's not really my thing. I just like too many things to do. Do, do so you think, think that, that at this point in your life, you can predict which title is going to be successful? Or are, have no. there been titles no. and you thought that this is going to, this is not going to do anything and this was usually successful? I, I, I don't think that any of that's predictable. You know, as long as you've got stuff out there and you've got it out there in the world. Uh, a friend of mine who's been a composer longer than I have, though he's younger than me, uh, you know, he just told me, he posted something the other day ago where he told me that, Something that had been sitting in a catalog. On, it was in a major company. Uh, been there for like 20 years or so. All of a sudden just got placed on a ma got a major placement. So that stuff's out there. And you never know what it's going to be or where it's going to come from. You just have, you know, it's like buying lotto tickets. You just got to keep buying those things. And at some point, you know, they're going to pay off. One of them is going to pay off. And I just think it's, you just have it. You just got to have it out there. Now, for me, I don't want to give it up to have it out there. So I'm looking for ways to not sell it off or give up the copyright. Uh, but I want it out there in whatever way I can find. That's just, that's my journey. That's my path. You know, everybody's got their own, their own path. Would, you, would, your would your strategy be to have your music available on a lot of platforms so there's a big chance of someone picking up a track of yours yeah, and, kind and of, using that's it? Kind of, yeah, that's kind of my philosophy. You know, a lot of people would disagree with that, but I'm comfortable with it. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we've, we've almost come to the end of this hour. All that, I didn't that's... get tired. <laughs> but we, we didn't get tired either, oh, so that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. Great stuff, Art. We oh, thought it was, was very interesting. And um, it's interesting that if people um, want to give their opinion about production music labels, they can go to musiclibraryreport.com and leave gentle remarks, not slander. <laughs> kind and gentle. Behind. Yes. So, so that's, that's a good thing. I want to thank you very much for uh, spending time with us and, and talking to us. It was very interesting. Um, it's uh, it's it's time to end this 
episode of Synchronized. And the last final word from Simon. Uh, many thanks. Really inspiring talk. Oh, with you. thank you. It's brilliant. Really my I just like... I re- Go ahead. Go on. Now, as you could say, no. it's my pleasure, and I really enjoyed it. I was, you know, I'm a little, you know, I like to say that I'm really shy, and I, I am, but I'm really good on one-on-one or two-on-one now. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, <laughs> but I guess, you know, I, I have to get over myself about that. Well, many thanks. And I'd just like to Thank reach you. out to our viewers to say, if you hope, I hope you enjoyed today's show. And we'd really appreciate if you could show your support by giving us a five-star review on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Every review helps us to spread the word so we can help create great shows for you in the future. So many thanks to you all. Yeah. Thank and, you. And like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash synchronized podcast. All right. Yeah. Th- thank you very much. Hope to see you soon. And thank you for your time. Bye-bye. Bye.